please read with me in your scripture sheets or your Bibles or in the Pew Bibles. That very day, two of them were going on to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you were holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had each had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was going to them in the breaking of bread, and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Respective classes. We are near the end. Luke 24. The 13th verse. We'll probably be in Luke for just two more Sundays. Then we'll start a new series. But what a precious chapter. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we had uh, before us in the bulletin the resurrection this morning and last Sunday. Uh, It's like I love doing this when it's not Easter. When we're not in a time of year we're thinking about this. But outside the context of Easter, to focus on the resurrection. It's like at Christmas, focusing 
on the incarnation, we usually do at Christmas, but to do that outside of Christmas is just a reminder. Every Sunday, that's why we worship on the first day of the week, or what we call the first day of the week, Sunday, because of the resurrection. We will look at that passage in just a moment before we do. Let's pray together and ask the Jesus that was there with those two disciples on the road to mess. Let's ask him to teach us like he taught them. Our Father, we bow before you as your priests. You've called us to be prophets, Father, all of us, even though very few of us are called to stand behind the pulpit and proclaim your word, we're all called to take your word into the world around us, to live your word in our homes, with our families, in our neighborhoods, at work, at school, on the ball field. We thank you for that great privilege. But we also have, Father, an incredible privilege of bringing the people that are in our lives in those places before you in prayer to bring them as we take your word to them we bring them before you as your priests we bow before you this morning and we pray for Matt Olson that you would bring healing to his body and uh, Dana Osborne's father Dan Ellison that you would cause him to remember the gospel at this time in his life and to look forward with anticipation. We pray for Jim Bennington, for Billy Griggs, that you would give them not only physical strength and mental clarity, but, Father, we pray that you would also give them anticipation and hope to look forward not to the end of life, but to a new beginning as Jesus has prepared a place for them. Father, teach us to live that way. We pray for Carissa's cousin, Will Stevens. Oh, Father, bless Will Stevens' parents. Give, give great comfort to them at this time. We pray, Father, that you would bring healing to Will. Give the doctors wisdom. Give them insight. Father, all things are possible with you. And so right now in this congregation, we lay this young man before you and ask for you to bring healing. Father, we pray for Nancy Sinclair's family, uh, that you would bring comfort to them. We pray for Mark Shibe and his family as they've arrived in Dublin. And we ask that you would bless them in this mission that they're undertaking. Cause us to be faithful to pray. Cause them to be faithful to your calling and give them strength. Now as we open your word, we pray that you would do what John Sartell can. We pray that you would speak to us as only you're able to speak. We've heard you before in this room. Our hearts have been changed. They're changed, Father, sometimes in an imperceptible way every week. We pray that you would continue to speak in this room. 
Continue to change us. Continue to change some, Father, for the first time as they begin a new journey and a new life in Christ. Father, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus seeks out errant disciples. There's a lesson here that's so obvious. Don't quit. Don't quit the situation when Jesus is involved. Look at the 13th verse. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Here are two disciples, disciples of Jesus, who quit too soon. They were leaving in the middle of the greatest event. We looked at last week and said, what's the greatest morning in the history of the world? It was when he rose. They were leaving in the middle of the greatest event in history. Think about it. You're sitting at the Liberty Bowl in, in Memphis. Memphis. Ole Miss is playing Tennessee. The score is tied at 21. Two minutes are left in the game, and Ole Miss is driving. And you've brought a friend to the game, and he stands up with two minutes left. Ole Miss driving, score tied, and said, well, I've got to go home. See you later. You would look at him and say, what is wrong with you? Are you deaf? You would never waste a ticket on that person again. These men had every reason to stay. Why do I say that? Look at verse 22. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but they did not him they did not see. These two, men, these two men knew the women had found an empty tomb. They knew the men had that the women had reported seeing angels. They knew Peter and John reported that the tomb was empty. And right in the middle of this, they packed and left. Why? Family emergency? Job? No. Look at verse 33. And they arose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them. Once Jesus met them, once he taught them, once their eyes were opened, they ran back to Jerusalem. Nothing else happened on this trip. It wasn't about an emergency. It wasn't about family. It wasn't about John. Why did they leave? Look at verse 17. And they stood, they stood still looking sad. Look at verse 21. But we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. It's no, we, we don't hope that any longer. We had hoped that he would redeem Israel. We hoped he was the Messiah. That's gone. Story's over. These men were depressed. They had no hope. Hope was past tense. He's dead. He could not be the Messiah. The body, notice He's still, in, in verse 23, they said the body they didn't find. He's still the corpse. He's still the body to them. Game's over. The other team had won. 
And you and I know that those two disciples quit too soon. What's the point? Don't quit the situation when Jesus is involved. Some people quit. What's our quit level? What would it take to shatter your involvement with God, with Christ? When would you say it's all over? I'm done with this. I'm leaving. Some people leave when God allows their children to die. Some, some leave when burdens of money and children and job become too heavy. They think like the bumper sticker, life is hard and then you die. Some give up on Jesus when they become disillusioned with the church, feel injured. Some leave when they hear Jesus and the idea of the resurrection mocked and scorned in the university classroom. And they decide it's not true. Some leave when evil wrecks havoc and the Holocaust happens. Jesus could just couldn't be real or he wouldn't let these concentration camps happen. What's our quit level? What's your quit level? We better find out where it is and push it way further away. These men had seen a beaten, bloody Jesus nailed to a Roman cross. From a safe distance, they had watched him die. They had seen his pale, cold corpse. They knew his body had been buried and they quit. No, you think about that situation. You've seen that. You were there. Seen the crucifixion. Talked about it last week. If he returned there, if he returned from that, then it's not safe to leave any situation where he's involved. I keep a sentence. I don't know who said it originally. I first heard it from Steve Brown. But I keep it where I can see it constantly. Never doubt in the dark what God has taught you in the light. God's providence is so strange. As I prepared this message, I traveled Friday to Atlanta to preach at a funeral for a very, very special lady and friend. Her name was Jamie Cahill, graduate of the University of Alabama. When she was in her early 20s, she was diagnosed with MS. In the midst of the early signs of that and being diagnosed, she had two girls in her early 20s, traveling the world. Her husband was a professional tennis player. In just a few short years, very short years, before she was 30 years old, she was paralyzed by MS could not walk, could not feed herself, 
was completely dependent on someone to feed her, someone to dress her, someone to take care of her. She lived that way for 45 years. For 45 years. I don't know how she did it. She raised two daughters. And she taught them every hour of every day about the sovereignty and grace of God. The most beautiful thing about this was that she was not stoic, spitting in the face of whatever happened. I remember when she was first diagnosed and we talked together about God's sovereignty. We talked about Romans chapter 8. If God is for us, who can be against us? Can MS, is MS greater than God? Is being paralyzed greater than God? Is paralysis greater than God? Is death greater than God? She lived that truth. She turned that theology into her biography. I watched a video with a thousand pictures in it. And I was looking for one thing, a picture where she was not smiling and laughing. She looked at MS and laughed. She looked at paralysis and laughed. She looked at, and it was to Satan's consternation, God could have healed her. But he did something with her far, far greater by not healing. He made her a bright and shining light. And anyone that knew her will never forget. I challenged the congregation yesterday, go find a picture of Jamie where she's not laughing, where she's not smiling. You can't find one. I did see one yesterday out of a thousand I saw. It was when she was in college and sitting beside some ugly guy. But MS didn't stop her. Paralysis didn't stop her. Daughter yesterday talked about how, how much she had learned from her mother. About not whining. She could have packed it in. It would have been a huge temptation to me. Be careful when you're tempted to pack it in and leave. People have been known to do that and walk right out on the greatest event in history. What I want us to see this morning is the way Jesus responded to these disciples who were leaving. They represented how all the disciples reacted to their death. All the disciples left. The women we saw last week were going to a burial, not to a resurrection. In Gethsemane on that Friday, that Thursday night, Friday morning, all you saw from the disciples were heels and elbows as they ran, as they fled. How does Jesus respond to this desertion? 
I want you to see that first Jesus is tenacious with his own. He's tenacious with his own. Look at verse 15. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. He could have left them walking. He could have said, good riddance. But, but look at the scripture. Jesus drew near the effort. Jesus went to them. Jesus went after them. He drew near and went to them. But instead of coming to them, instead of, instead of just leaving them on their own and saying good riddance, Jesus caught up with them. Jesus sought them out. You just think you're quitting. I will not let you. You just think it's over. In John 10, 28, there on your scripture sheet, you'll see it. Jesus said, I give them eternal life. Who is them? Those are his people. Those are his disciples. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will ever, ever pluck them out of my hand. You can't get away. Ask Elijah about this. I love his story. He spent some hard, hard years, really hard years as a prophet striving to bring Israel to repentance. He thought he had won a great victory finally, a victory over Jezebel and her false prophets. But nothing changed. The people did not change their way of living. And Jezebel was still in power and she put a price on his head. Elijah went out and sat under a broom tree. This is the, one of the greatest prophets who ever lived. And he said, I quit. I want to die. That's what he told God. And God came to him and said, you can't quit. Go to Mount Horeb. So he goes to Mount Horeb. Elijah gets to Mount Horeb and says, I quit. And God says, you can't quit. Go anoint the next king of Israel. Go anoint the next king of Assyria. And go and train the prophet who will take your place. God was being tenacious with Elijah. And that's exactly what Jesus was doing on the road to Emmaus. All of us sometimes want to quit. Sometimes I, I want to just, I want to quit. I want to walk away. Sometimes I wonder as I think about torture and persecution in concentration camps. I think, what would it take that I would turn away? What would it take? But you know, here's the message this morning. That is when the tenacious Christ becomes the greatest comfort to us. I know that he's tenacious. I'm not deserving. I'm sinful. We're going to sing it at the end. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But he's tenacious with his own people. He won't, he won't let us quit. He won't let us leave. In Romans chapter 8, it's there in your scripture, we read in, in the midst of persecution, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And it lists all these hard things that could happen to you. What, you know, is it persecution? 
nakedness, peril, sword. What, what will separate us from the love of Christ? Notice, it's, he's not speaking of our love for Christ there. He's saying, who will separate us from Christ's love for us? That's what holds us. It's not our love for Christ. Our love for Christ will fail. But Paul asked this great question when he's speaking of the sovereignty of God. Christ is sovereign. He said, who's going to separate you from his love? And the answer is nothing can. Nothing. He's tenacious with his own. Secondly, I want you to see that he reveals himself to his own. When we want to walk away, he'll come anew. And that's what happened. They were walking away. They were quitting. And he came and he came with scripture. And began to talk about what God's word said. But look at verse 16. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And their eyes were open in verse 31, you reread. So their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And then in verse 31, and their eyes were open and they recognized him. That's incredulous, isn't it? If <laughs> I've never had a friend, a real close friend, look at me and not recognize me. But they did not recognize Jesus. And we, we, we read that their eyes were kept from recognizing him. There's a, a biblical truth there. Jesus is say, says to us what he said to them. I'm not discovered by you. You didn't discover me. I revealed, I'm, I, I revealed myself to you. In Matthew 16, there on your scripture sheet, remember when Jesus questioned the disciples about who he was in, in Matthew 16, 16, Simon Peter replied, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you are so great. You're smarter than all the other disciples. You are brilliant. Man, how did you, how did you understand this? That's not what he said. He said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Augustine was once accosted by a pagan who showed him his idol. He said, here's my God, here's my idol, show me yours. And Augustine replied, I cannot show you my God, not because there's no God to show you, but because you have no eyes to see him. Look at verse, look at verse 25 of Luke 24 in our passage this morning. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow to heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Every Sunday morning as we come to worship and then before this message, we pray the same prayer, the prayer that we prayed this morning. We ask God to teach us and to reveal himself to us. First, what verse 27 describes is what we pray will take place in this sanctuary. I can tell you facts about the gospel, facts about the life of Jesus, but only God, only the Holy Spirit 
is able to reveal the living Christ to us so that we really see and change our hearts. Again, we see the emphasis on the power of Scripture. People learn this, trust this. If you're praying for someone to come to know Christ, expose them to Scripture. Look at Luke 16, 22. And he said, Luke 16, 22, and he said, I beg you, this is, this is when uh, it's a parable, and, and a man is in hell, and he's suffering. And, and he, he says, he's speaking to Abraham, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone from rise from the dead. What he's saying is that the word of God is as powerful as a resurrection. That's what he's saying. The word of God. How many of us, all of us, would have loved to have been that tomb? And we'd say, that would really, it would really increase my faith. It would help. I would love to have been standing in that tomb and seen that. God says, there's something as powerful as the resurrection. And it's the word of God. And if you don't believe the word of God, even if you see the resurrection, and we saw, we've seen in recent weeks people that saw the resurrection, didn't believe. He's tenacious for his own. He is revealed to his own. Finally, he's pervasive with his one. Uh, pervasive for the folks from Ole Miss, that means that, that he is saturated with his own. There, he's everywhere. In verse 31, they, their eyes were opened. They recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And then we read in verse 33, they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem and they found the 11 and those who were with them gathered together saying, the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they were told what happened on the road and how he was known to them in breaking of the bread. And they were talking about these things. Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace to you. They returned to Jerusalem and tell his disciples, we saw him, we talked to him. And the disciples are not, dis not surprised. Peter saw him. By that time on Sunday, Jesus had appeared to Mary, a group of women coming from the tomb, to Peter, to do disciples on the road. And then after they all come together, there he is in their midst. People, that's the way it was for 40 days. He dropped in and out of their physical sight. We see it. Sometime he stayed for hours. Sometime he came to just one. Sometime he taught several hundred. Why didn't he just, job was done. Why didn't he appear and say, I've risen and I'm home to glory. He was delivering a message. They never knew when he was going to show up. They never knew where they were going to see him next. He told them, go to Galilee. I'll meet you there. Just so they would understand. 
They'd been down in Judea. They went to Galilee and there he was. And then Jesus said to them at the end of Matthew, just before he left, teaching them to observe all you go, take the world of the gospel, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I'll be present with you through the person and power. Remember, he said, don't you leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. I'm going to be present with you wherever you are in the power of the Holy Spirit. People, Christianity, and if you're not a Christian this morning, listen to this. If you don't understand the gospel, listen to this. Know this. Christianity is not our adherence to an ethical system. That's not the heart and soul of Christianity. We're not simply a people keeping a certain moral code. Christianity is a personal relationship with Jesus who is alive and present. You know, he's been away a long time, hasn't he? And we yearn for the day when he will return. And put an end to the darkness. And the concentration camps. And EMS. And paralysis. And disease. And that day is coming. We sometimes think he's been away a long time. You know what Jesus says to you? I've never left. I've never left. As we come to the table this morning, we'll sing together, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.